so great to see everyone here this morning. We are going to be continuing our series going through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We'll be in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, the first five verses uh, this morning. So if you want to look them up in your Bible and prepare for that when we get there, you can do so. But if you don't have, have your Bible, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen when we read the passage together. <clears throat> so we're approaching the end of the series of uh, going through the, the epistles to the Thessalonians, and so we only have two more ser- uh, sermons after this um, in Second Thessalonians, and, and then we will be uh, entering a time of preparing our hearts and minds to celebrate the incarnation and the sending of Jesus Christ. And so we'll be going into a series in, at the beginning of December uh, celebrating Advent and remembering and focusing on what that means for us. But today we'll be in 2 Thessalonians, and so let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts and minds for what he has to say for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we can gather together as your people, when we can open up your word and see what you would have us see, to know you through your word, to know you as you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, I pray for this time as, you, as we dive into what you would have for us, that you grow us in the ways in which we need to grow, that you teach us in what we need to be taught, that you show us your truth on how we need to respond to who you are, that we can be your people. Lord, I pray as we talk about prayer that we can see such a vital aspect of our faith and see how important it is to be engaging in it. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we pray? I mean, we can be honest. On the outside, it can look a little weird. On the outside, for people who do not have faith, it can look like we're wasting time, that we're just talking to ourselves or we're talking to an imaginary friend. Why would we pray? We can, admit, we, can, we can admit to ourselves in a busy life, why would we take time, carve time to pray? Why pray? You know, I've talked to a lot of people who might struggle with prayer, or when we talk about prayer, sometimes it's almost assumed that we struggle with prayer, but a lot of people have this attitude of, who am I? Who am I that the Lord of the universe would actually hear me and respond to me? Who am I that I actually think I'm good enough to come before him? Who am I? And so they struggle with prayer. Why pray? Why pray? We can, we can all admit that we probably, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, have struggled with prayer. There's been many times which I pray that I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Nothing changes. Nothing happens. And I have to say, why pray? We could go probably on and on with objections or struggles or feelings of just angst about prayer, but we have that question, why do we pray? Well, 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3 starts to, I think, give us answers to why we pray. Starts shedding light on why do we actually trust that God hears us and responds and answers many of these questions and much more. And so let's go to the Word of God and see what Paul has to say for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll be reading the first five verses. 
Paul begins like this. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. How does this answer questions about prayer? Well, I would just offer you this point. Pray for the Lord is faithful. I love when you look at the structure of this tiny little paragraph. Paul starts with an urging of prayer, prayer for him and for his fellow workers in the gospel, and he ends by praying for the Thessalonians, and right uh, smack dab in the middle of that paragraph is this point, but the Lord is faithful. And right there gives the heart of why we pray. We pray because the Lord is faithful. We pray because we trust that he's true to his word. We pray because he is said to pray and he answers. We pray because the Lord is faithful and we trust in him. The Lord is faithful. He won't leave us. He won't forsaken us. He won't abandon us. He won't ignore us. And so we pray. Pray for the Lord is faithful. That, I would argue, would be the main point that Paul is driving. But we see as he, he kind of um, builds his argument with asking for prayer and then praying for people and, and have this assurance that the Lord is at work. And so he starts in this paragraph, finally, brothers, pray for us. He actually requests prayer from these, these Christians in Thessalonica. He's asking them to continue to pray for Paul and for Timothy, for Silas, who are with him, for the other workers, these, these evangelists, these church pledges are going with Paul, spreading the word of God. He's asking that these people pray for him. Actually, that's not out of character with Paul at all. When you read his epistles, and when you read him writing to these churches, eight times in the New Testament, at least, counting this time, he asks for prayer. He asked for people to be praying for him, to be praying for the mission, to be praying for his steadfastness, for his, for his love of God, to be praying for him and his, what he's doing. He's asking for prayer for the workers of the gospel. And when Paul does this, he's actually reflecting Jesus, who called for us to pray for the workers of the gospel. Uh, that's my notes. Both in Luke and in Matthew, we see Jesus doing this. He tells his disciples to be praying for the workers of the gospel. In Luke 10, uh, verse 2, he says, And then he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That Jesus calls for his disciples, for his believers, to be praying for the workers who are going out and working for God, spreading the gospel, building up churches, doing what they've been called to do for the ministry of God. He says, pray for these people. It's the same sentiment that Paul has when he says, pray for us. As we're doing God's work, as we're called by God to be missionaries, pray for us. <clears throat> and so what does that look like for us? Who should we be praying for? 
Well, I think encompassed in this is the idea that we should actually, just like the Thessalonians, be praying for missionaries. That when we consider people on the front line in different countries, in different social con- uh, contexts, as they're spreading the gospel, as they're seeking to expand the kingdom of God, we should be praying for missionaries. On the wall out there in the lobby, we have missionaries that the church supports that you can look at and you can pray for and keep in mind these people who are helping spread the word of God. We have Ted and Emily Lotus who work with LEI, which is Evangelism Literacy International, which helps Literacy Evangelism International, that's the right order, which helps spread the word of God by teaching people how to read in their own language so that they can read the Bible. And they use Bible stories to help teach people how to read. We have LAMP out there that's the, that does that mission that LEI supports in Guatemala specifically and with the mom people, teaching people how to read their native tongue so that they can grasp the message of Jesus Christ. We should be praying for missionaries, those who are going out spreading the word of God in different social contexts, different to different people groups that need to hear who God is. Pray for, mission, uh, for missionaries. This also, I think, encompasses that we should be praying for evangelists, people who are gifted and talented with spreading the truth of who Jesus Christ is with people who would hear. Again, on that wall out there, when we talk under missions, we have the organization of Young Life. In town, leaders go out and spread the truth of who Jesus is to high school students who might never walk into a church building, but yet they go and spread that word, and that's just one mission we support of evangelists who go out and share the word. We should be praying for those people gifted in that area. We should also be praying for church planners, people sent out by churches or people going out to help establish or may even revitalize churches so that communities have a place where the gospel is preached, where the word is stood on, and they can come and know who Christ is. And finally, I think we should be in this pray for us. We should be praying for church leaders, pastors, elders, ministers of our church who are seeking to do the work of God as God has called them to. So very bluntly, I would say, I need your prayers. As a pastor of this church, I need your prayers because guess what? I can't do what God has called me to do through my own power, through my own strength, and I need your prayers as we work together, as we're together focusing on the gospel, proclaiming that truth, working in these different ministries. Any of the other elders of this church would say the same thing, is that they covet your prayers. They would be overjoyed if they knew that you actually were praying for the leadership of this church so that we could be doing what God has called us to do. We need to be praying for this church, the people doing the ministry, us doing the ministry as well. That we pray for the Lord is faithful. This is who we pray for. But what do we pray for for these people? What are we supposed to be praying? Paul outlines actually what we should be praying for these ministers of the gospel. In verse 1, he says, so that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it was among you, that we pray that the gospel go forth. That when we're praying for these missionaries, when we're praying for these evangelists, when we're praying for these church planners, when we're praying for these church leaders, what are we praying? That the gospel is proclaimed, that the gospel is advanced, that people respond to it, that it speeds ahead of people when they proclaim the gospel and is honored as people receive the truth of who Christ is. 
We're praying for the church to grow, the universal church to grow, that the kingdom advances, that darkness is pushed back. We're praying for lives to be changed as people understand the truth of who Christ is. That when the gospel advances, the reality is that dead people in sin are pulled from darkness into light and they are made alive as saints of God. And we're praying for that to happen. That the natural impulse of every Christian should be as we go about our work, as we go about our life, as we go about living our life and family, or wherever we are, we're praying that the gospel is advanced, that people hear, and we step into that and help do that as well. We pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. We also pray for the protection of those who seek to serve Lord in this fashion. Paul says that we, we pray in verse 2 that, that we may be, be delivered from wicked and evil men. You've got to put yourself back in the context of uh, the church in Thessalonica. They saw wicked and evil men. When we go back to Acts 17, we see how that church was planted, how Paul proclaimed the gospel, people were responding, and what happened is that the people who did not know Christ rioted they got so mad about people coming to the gospel that they started a riot and Paul and Silas and Timothy had to flee the city. And Jason, who used to be the head of the synagogue, who is now the leader of this church, was left to kind of stand in front of the authorities explaining why people are getting mad. And so you can understand when Paul is saying, hey, pray for our protection from evil and wicked men, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because as Paul says, not all men have faith. Not all have faith. He's asking for prayer against those who are opposed to the message of the gospel, and that still happens today. Last week, we actually took a time and, and prayed for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters across the globe who undergo persecution from authorities or from people groups who don't like the spread of the gospel. This still happens that we should be praying for their protection, that they, that they are not going to be dragged with authorities, authorities, that they should not be locked up, that they can continue to do what God has called them to do to proclaim the gospel. But we don't just pray for the gospel to go forth, and we don't just pray for the protection. We actually pray for them individually, that they remain steadfast. I think implied in this, when Paul says, pray for us, is the fact that he knows that he needs their prayers. He needs God working in him so that they remain steadfast, continuing doing what God has called them to do, which is spread the gospel. Because without the gospel being proclaimed, people can't come to know who Christ is. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. And so these gospel workers have to remain steadfast. We, as a church, have to remain steadfast, proclaiming the truth of who God is. And, we, and Paul prays, asks for prayers, and prays because God is faithful. When he asks for prayers, he, <coughs> excuse me, he knows God is faithful to his word. He knows God is faithful to his mission that he's given his people. He knows that God is at work in this. He's at work in him proclaiming the gospel. And so he prays and asks for prayers because he knows God is faithful. And when we come to our context as River Valley Community Church, 
When we become members of this church, we, we sign a document that talks about how we will share the responsibility of the church, that we will serve the ministry of the church. There's two aspects. And at the bare bones, part of that is that we are praying for the ministry in the, in the church itself, that it continues being healthy, that it continues to move forward and proclaim the truth, that we together pray for God's work to be done. We pray for the Lord is faithful. But we don't just pray for those who are in particular positions spreading the gospel or building up the church. We pray for believers, our brothers and sisters sitting next to us as well. <clears throat> That's what Paul does in this section. He actually is praying for the Thessalonians. He prays for them to uh, to know who God is and to stand firm in the truth. And it's interesting, when we look at how Paul writes letters to the churches that he, he helps plant or churches he doesn't know, what is almost the second thing he says? The first thing he says, hey, I'm Paul. I come from God. The second thing he says is, I'm praying for you. I'm giving thanks to God for you. He established that pattern where he's always praying for these Christians because he knows God is faithful. He knows God is using his prayers, and he's praying for them. But I love how he talks about the Thessalonians in this passage, that he has confidence in their faith. He has confidence in who they are in the Lord. I love how he talks about them when he says, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we commanded, that he is sure in the Lord that they are doing what they've been called to do. Why? Because he trusts God is at work in their lives. He has confidence in them responding to the gospel and living for Christ, which I think means that we should actually have confidence in one another to do what we've been commanded to do by Christ to follow him. And when we look at our brothers and sisters right here in this context, in small groups this week as we gather together, we should look at each other and we should naturally assume that they're doing the best, striving with all their power to live for God. That we should naturally assume they want to honor God. That we should assume and have confidence that God is at work in their life. That's what it means to be a community of grace, is that we know and have confidence that God is at work in everyone's life. Yeah, they don't have it all together, but guess what? Neither do we. Yeah, they might stumble and fall, but guess what? We all mess up. But we have confidence that God is at work in this community, building people, growing people in the ways they need to grow. That we should be a community of grace that has confidence in one another. That we don't automatically jump to the wrong assumptions when someone hits a speed bump in life. That we actually assume, have confidence that God is at work and that they're repenting and they're growing. Now along with that confidence comes knowing who they are, being in their life and speaking the truth in love so that we are, have this confidence. That we see their character and we know that they love God. They want to grow and so we are gain confidence anew as we learn about one another and love each other and walk with each other through life. We should have confidence that God is at work. And that is what Paul prays for at the end of this passage. <clears throat> In verse 5, he 
switches from having confidence in who they are and how God is working in them to what he wants and prays for God to be doing in their life. And he starts praying that may the Lord direct your hearts. Then when he thinks about the Thessalonians, he prays that the Lord is actually working in their hearts, working in who they are, how they see the world, how they operate in this world, and he wants God to be the one who directs it. That's actually the, learn, the, the, uh, the desire of every Christian for other Christians, is that the Lord is at work in our hearts, directing it towards where it should go. That Actually, we are obedient enough, submissive enough to look upon God and say, lead me where I need to go. And so Paul is praying that for these Christians, that the Lord direct their hearts. But I love where he says for the Lord to direct their hearts. He points back to God. He doesn't say, hey, I want the Lord to direct your hearts for you to try a little harder because you've been slagging, you know, slacking around. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, I want the Lord to direct your hearts to really you know, condemn yourself and feel guilty for how well you've lived. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He points to God. He says, I want the Lord to direct your hearts where? Back to the love of God. Where does he want you, God to direct your hearts? Back to the steadfastness of Christ. What does he want them to look at? Not how well they're falling, not how well they're achieving, but he says, I pray that the Lord directs your hearts back to the love of God. The love of God that loves you so much that while you're sinners, he sends his son to die for you. The love of God that loves you so much that even when you have done nothing to deserve it, he orchestrates salvation for us. He wants us to direct our hearts back, God to direct our hearts back to the love of God. This love that he loves us first, and so now we respond with who we are because of his love. He wants, us to, wants God to direct our hearts back to the steadfastness of Christ. I love that, because he doesn't say he wants the Lord to direct your hearts to your steadfastness, because, no, I wouldn't like that. But he says, no, look again upon Christ's steadfastness, his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness to the mission that God called him to. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, Consider him, Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The logic there is that we consider Christ's steadfastness, that we know he does not give up on us, we know that he's not moved by our circumstances, we know that he will not abandon us, we consider his steadfastness, and we have faith. We know who he is. We pray for believers that they look to God again. Be confirmed with the essence of the gospel that he loves us in spite of ourselves. We look again to Christ and what he has done and continues to do for us. And we trust in him. We pray for other believers because when we focus on God's love, when we focus on Christ's steadfastness, guess what? We will not be shaken. We will not be deceived. We will not stumble and be led astray by what other people might say that sounds good. 
that might tickle our ears when we fix our eyes on who God is and how steadfast Christ is for us. We have faith in him. We stand immovable, trusting in our God. Pray for the Lord is faithful. We pray because the Lord is faithful. As I said, that is where the essence of prayer kind of hinges. That God is faithful. He does not change. When we read the word of God, we see again and again assurances that God does not change, that God does not, is not um, a, a, you know, a thing, a arbitrary God. He's not fickle. He stands true to his word. He stands true to his nature. I think of uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness that we think about God, he is the faithful God. <laughs> he, he, he loves us. And he who has spoken and has uh, orchestrated this mission of redemption will never abandon it, will never go some other way. He is our faithful God. And that hinges why we pray, because we know and trust that he responds to us. But just look at how Paul talks about the Lord's faithfulness. He says, but the Lord is, uh, is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. How is the Lord faithful? Well, first and foremost, he establishes us. He plants us on solid standing in his gospel. He makes us a people. He calls us his children. He establishes us as one of his he gives us life. He establishes this new life in us. And so we trust him because he gives us everything we need. And so he establishes us and we trust him because of the great salvation we have. And then we trust him also because he'll guard us against the evil one. That we know that he who is in us is greater than he is in the world. We trust that he is more powerful than anything else. That no scheme of man, no scheme of the devil can thwart his plan. We trust that nothing can happen outside of his will and his direct decree. We trust that he is the most powerful thing in all the universe. And so we know he will deliver us and keep us safe from the evil one. We have that faith in who he is. This is our amazing, mighty God. And so the Lord is faithful. When we hear that, we trust in this faithful Lord who is not moved, who speaks and it happens, who declares it is appears. This is our God. And so we trust also along with this that as he commands us to pray, our prayers are heard. That as he commands us and asks us to be in prayer with him, we trust that this faithful God hears us, longs for us to speak to him, and also responds to us. As somehow, in some way, that boggles the mind, he uses our prayers and his great plan to work out his salvation plan for humanity. That he uses our prayers and asks for our prayers. I just think about verses like John 15, 7, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. This is, this, 
the idea that if we actually are following God and we know God's word and their words are in us and when we ask what he wants us to ask, he does it. And we have confidence that he responds to our prayers, that he's working and using our prayers. One of my favorite passages about prayers is in the book of Philippians, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, when it says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why does the peace of God guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when we pray? Because we know that when we speak, when we pray to our almighty God, he is, hears us, he is faithful to who he is and what he has promised. And so he responds to us. He loves us. He's working for our good. And so we have a peace as we stand in Christ, that this is our God, and that I have prayed, and so I know he hears and will respond, and we trust in him. Pray, for the Lord is faithful. And so we pray. What does that look like? Well, we talked about as we walked around, we should be, walked through this text, we should actually be praying for the workers of the gospel. We should be praying for the leaders of churches, churches that we respect, churches that we belong to. We should be praying and trusting God to be at work, and we should be praying for one another. We should be looking at our brothers and sisters and honestly praying for them. This is why when we meet together in small groups, uh, one of the three things that has to happen is that we pray for each other. One of the things that we say should be always part of a small group, a gathering together, is that we actually pray for each other because it's so vital for our health and so vital for our well-being as we walk in Christ. So we pray for each other. So why pray? Is it a waste of time? In such a busy life, why should we carve out time to seemingly talk to the air? Because it's not the waste of time. It's the most valuable thing you can do. Because when we pray, it's actually more profitable than any effort we could put into anything. For when we pray, we are communing with the Almighty God who loves us, who works for us, who wants our good to happen, who actually hears our intercession and acts. Why do we pray? Because we trust in the Almighty God to love us and do what he's called to do. Why do we pray when we think, oh man, <laughs> Who am I that he would listen to you? Who are you? He loves you so much he sent your son, his son to die for you. Who are you? You are the one he has said, I, you are mine. You are my child. Of course he's now going to respond to you. Who are you? After giving his son for us, why would we think he would not give us everything we need? And so we pray, not because we are confident about who we are. We pray because we're confident about who he is and his love and his faithfulness. And so we pray, knowing he hears us and he responds to us. Why do we pray? We can admit sometimes it does not feel like he responds or hears. We can admit sometimes that we prayed and what we wanted to happen does not happen. But we trust in him and his faithfulness, and we pray. And when it doesn't feel like we're praying, we pray until we start to pray and trust in him. Because he hears us, he loves us, he's at work in us, and at work in his body. Pray, for the Lord is faithful. So join me in prayer.
Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can read it, we can know it, we can respond to it, we can see the truth of it. We can see how, actually, as I speak now, you hear us and you hear the, the, uh, the unspoken prayers of this congregation. That they are a pleasing aroma to you. That they're like incense floating into your heavenly temple. Lord, we pray and we ask for what you have called us to pray for, for the gospel to spread ahead of us, for us to be part of that mechanism in which people hear about Christ. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that they can look again to the gospel, that they can look again to the steadfastness of Christ. And Lord, we do bring our requests to you. Knowing that you hear, knowing that you care, knowing that you do respond. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have read about prayer, as we have prayed about prayer, that we can be a people who pray, lifting one another up, lifting the gospel call up, lifting the mission of God up as we seek to honor you in all that we do. And, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray.